Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're going to be beginning today's study in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 21. Paul is trying to explain. When we read the law, all of a sudden we come to know, man, I've got sin. I've broken the law. Some of us have broken it in many more points than others, but nonetheless, just one infraction makes you guilty according to the Bible's rules of the whole thing. And so the Bible is doing this to teach us something, and that's the part we're coming to today. Paul is building an argument to help us come into a right relationship with God. And the way we come into that relationship with God is not on a basis of us fulfilling the law, of us being perfect or us doing good works, as we're going to see today. Because Paul goes on to explain, now through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so in verse 21, but now apart from the law, apart from the law, it says the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For he says, there is no distinction. Now remember, he's writing to the church at Rome, and they had mostly what we would call non-Jewish believers in that church. But there were Jewish believers, completed Jews, they're called. When a Jew accepts Christ as their Messiah, then they're called in the Jewish culture a completed Jew. They're also today, some of them are hated by the Orthodox Jews who don't acknowledge Christ as their Messiah. They're like, nope, he ain't it. And so they'll spit on you if you're a Christian Jew. And so here, Paul says, listen, through Christ, God's righteousness has been exhibited through Jesus to all who believe. And then he says, because in him, there is no distinction. God accepts all persons, Jew, Gentile alike. Doesn't matter what your nationality, what your upbringing is. And so Paul goes on, he says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This was one of the first verses I was taught from the Bible when I gave my life to Christ. That all of us had said, the thing is, I already knew I had. Like, I wasn't going, uh, not me. I was like, yep, that's right. That wasn't my problem, knowing that I had sin. My problem was, what do I do about it? How do I deal with it? How do I fix this problem? But see, if you won't acknowledge that you have sin, it's impossible to help you get out of sin. It's like the alcoholic who says, I don't have a problem drinking, as they're just blasted. Have you ever had to talk to someone when they're drunk about God? And they just ramble all over the place, and their spirit's not sober. I kind of come to the conclusion, if you're really serious, you want to know about God, come see me when you sober up. Because they don't remember anything you tell them while they're drunk. So it's... Like Jesus said, don't cast pearls before swine. They trample them underfoot. Just wait till they're sober and then tell them, hey, I got good news for you. God has made a way that we don't have to keep falling down in these areas of sin. But we have to start with this acknowledgement. How many of us have sinned? All. Do you think he's saying that so that we will go, all right, let's point at everyone else and say, oh, well, look at her sin or look at her sin or look at his sin. No. I think this is a very personal verse. It says, all have sinned, and guess who's included in all? You are. Me. I am. We are included in all have sinned. That means 
we have to wear the shoe because it fits. Remember when they brought a woman and said, Master, she has committed adultery. The law says she must be stoned to death. What do you say? And he just went, all right. Whoever's without sin, you go ahead and get the first stones, and you can cast the stones. And I just wonder, as he's stooped down, if he started with the oldest Rabbi Schneerson, and he, he went, took from the offering plate and told a lie to his wife. And what is he writing in the sand? Their name and their sin. All of a sudden, they look down, and they're like, i got to be going now. I think my wife needs me. And we don't know what he wrote. We just know that he stooped down and he wrote. And they began to leave. He who's without sin can go ahead and condemn the other people and judge them. But that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to judge that woman. They want to pass judgment on her. They want to throw stones at her. And Jesus cut right to the heart of the matter. He said, you who are without sin, you get to throw the first stone. And after all of them are gone, and it's just him and the woman left, he stands up and he says something to her. He says, lady, stay right here. I'm going to go get some rocks and I'll stone you because I'm perfect, right? I'm just teaching you. That is not what he said. He said to her, where are your accusers? There's no one here but you, Lord. And he says, I, I don't condemn you. See, this is how Jesus deals with our sin. She was caught in the sin. But all those other fellows wanted to judge her for her sin. And Jesus said, well, whoever has no sin, you can judge. And after they were all gone, because none of them qualified to be in the judge's chair, only one left that truly could be the judge was Christ. And he could have gone and got rocks and stoned her according to the law, but he shows us a greater law. He shows us something was written in the scriptures that says, mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, woman, where's your accusers? Says, None left but you. He goes, well, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. See, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. He said, woman, go your way and sin no more. This is the thing that an encounter with Christ shows us that he's there to help us get free. Really, the first step of our freedom comes from him saying to us, I don't condemn you. I know you have sin, but see, I came to pay for that. And that's what the next verse of Romans is going to talk about. This verse here says, all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory. Now, I don't teach a lot of Greek and Hebrew word studies. I used to years ago. I love to look up the stuff in the original languages because Sometimes there's things in the original language that the meaning is so much deeper. And this one is worthy of at least teaching you two words in Greek, okay? This part was written, you know, written down for us in the Greek. And this part, what Paul is writing, when he says, all have sinned, he's using the word kamartano. It's a, a marksman's term for shooting an arrow. It literally means from Greek to miss the mark. You're aiming for, for the bullseye, but you don't hit it. It doesn't matter how much you miss it by. When you don't hit the bullseye, right? In the marksman's term, you miss the mark. And this is how he says all of us are when it comes to spiritual things. The other word, hysteria, it means to, it says here, fall short of the glory of God. Paul has used a lot of things that they would understand. The Greeks were real into 
athletic games, competitions and stuff. The first one is from the shooting of the arrow. The second one is from the running of a race. And it was a word that in Greek they use if you're a runner and you're in the lead pack and the lead pack starts to do that last pull away, we call it, at the end of the race where they just hammer down that last little burst because you're getting close and you don't have it in you to go away with the lead pack. If you've ever run and you've been in a race and you're putting your full might and the people in front of you are just pulling away from you and getting ahead of you and they're going to win. The word for fall short, it's not really good translation. It's to fall back, to fall behind, like to start losing because you just couldn't pull out that last deep dig and win the race. And so it doesn't matter how much you fall back. And the Greeks, they're the originators of the Olympic glory and all that. It's kind of like they only remember the first place guy. He gets the wreath. He gets the gold medal. If you fall back in your third, fourth, fifth, they don't care. It's like you weren't even in the race. When you run a race, you're running to win. And Paul talks about that as believers. When we run, we should run with the attitude of trying to get to the finish. And in Hebrews, it tells us Christ is the finish line that we're running toward. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith, and he's the one we have to fix our eyes on. We have to literally fix our eyes on him and run with endurance this race set before us. But we cannot act like we're better than anyone else. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And the next verse, verse 24 says, when we acknowledge we've all sinned, we've got a good foundation to build upon. Spiritually, you want to have a healthy spiritual outlook, you need to acknowledge your sin. This isn't, by the way, for you to say, well, all have sinned, and let me judge all those other people. This is so that you would go, me included. By the way, if you judge others, I'm going to tell you something. You are going to be one of the most miserable people. Because what's Jesus say? If you judge someone else, what happens to you? Remember Matthew 7? Judge not lest you be judged. Yeah. And some people say, well, I'm not judging. So they put it under this like little cliche, this is constructive criticism for you. And sometimes I notice some of those constructive criticizers, they have no joy. Their joy goes in the toilet. And they don't even realize it. They get kind of cranky. And nothing is fun anymore. Life's not fun. Whenever we don't take this verse and turn it toward us, that we have all sinned, and, and that means deal with our sin personally, and we think it's about dealing with someone else's sin, then we're going to start to try to wear God's hat. And Jesus already made it clear to me, I'm not qualified to be the judge. Only he is. And so... He's the only one without sin that can do the job. And he does it a lot different than I would. Because I don't know about you, but some of you, you've had people sin against you and you would like to take care of their judgment. Not vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but vengeance is mine, saith Izzy. Let me handle them, Lord. And the Lord goes, nope. You let me do it. See, he's the only one who can do it properly. And so Paul is saying these things so that we would take it to heart for us. And if you do go around and you criticize people, you judge them, he could do this better or she should do that a different way or this, what you'll find is your joy will go down. You'll start to feel unhappy in life. By the way, it is a direct result of when we judge others, how much joy we have. When David was in sin with Bathsheba and then he had her husband killed 
By the time we read the Psalm, Psalm 51, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. He knew he had sin. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then he says something really interesting that I think David was one spiritually in tune guy for this. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. How much joy did you have when you first were saved? When you first found out Christ died for you and accounted for you, and he said, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Go your way. Sin no more. When you found that out, how was your joy? Man, I was just like, oh, this is the best day of life. I mean, to know in your heart that God doesn't condemn you for your sin, and you know you've sinned. But he says, I have enough grace and enough mercy to cover that. In fact, I'll pay for your sin. But unfortunately, as we go through our Christian journey in this life, there are times when some people offend us, some people disappoint us. We might not want to say it, but it starts to affect our joy meter. And we start getting a little cranky, and, or we see them coming, and we're like, oh, man, I was hoping I wouldn't have to see them today. Paul understands that it's really important we acknowledge that not one of us was able to kick that last sprint to the finish and win. There's only one that has run the race perfectly, and that was Christ. And he's the one who says, I got a gift for you. I have a gift for you. Now, the gift is said in the next verse, verse 24. Romans 3, 24, what a beautiful verse. It says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he has passed over sins previously committed. Now, there's a lot of big Christian lingo in the two verses I just read you, but I'll break it down for you. But just catch the last line. He passed over sins previously committed. All the sins you have committed, Christ has already taken care of it. He said, look, I already paid the fine. I did it. Now, if you don't understand the verbiage here, I didn't when I first read this. This is chock full of Christianese. That's what I call it, Christian lingo. You know, they got these words, propitiation. Any of you use that in a sentence this week? You know, just talking to your friends, hey, propitiation, or justified, or redemption. These are not the things really that we use too much, but I want to get the concept, especially for the new ones, that they understand this is something really powerful. See, he says that we were justified as a gift. It was a gift. By the way, justified for ease of remembrance. I remember my Bible school teacher said, justified is really easy. I'm just going to tell you, forget the Greek. It's just like this. Just as if I never sinned. That's to be justified. That's only Christ can do that for you, by the way. To make you just as if, in God's sight, you appear to him as if you've never, you have sinned. He's not saying you haven't, but what Christ has done is so complete that when he presents you to God, God looks at you through the offering of his son. The blood that he shed is like a filter 
And every mark on me of sin, every flaw, when God looks at me, he's got this lens of Christ between me and him. And he looks through that lens. And guess what that blood does? It covers over every little spot. So God just goes, hey, it looks perfect. See, all the blotches are covered of my black sin on my soul. Christ is blocking it. But he's not only just blocking it. He's going to make it removed. And this is where we get deeper into the understanding of what Christ did for us. Because it says, Christ gave us a gift by his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You guys know that. I mean, our church is amazing grace. It means we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't have to do anything to deserve it. It's a gift. Unmerited favor. You, you know the difference between merited and un- merit badges in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. You have to earn those things. You cannot earn salvation. It's a gift. You have to do one thing, though. If I'm giving you a gift like this, here's a gift. What do you have to do? You have to accept it, right? I mean, God's saying, I want to gift you salvation. And so many people, have you run into people, you're like trying to tell them, there's a gift God wants to give you. And they're like, what's the catch? What do I have to do? I'm like, well, there is one catch. Sometimes you got to humor them. Because if you tell them there's no catch, they just can't seem to accept it. So yeah, there's one catch. What's the catch? You have to accept the gift. Just like if I was going to give you this as a gift, there's one thing you have to do to have it. You got to say, Okay, I'll take it. I mean, God is standing there offering salvation, forgiveness of sins to all men. But if a man says, I don't want to take that gift, does God go, let me force it on you? I mean, I know some of us, I know I would. Look, you need this and you're going to take it. I wish it worked. I mean, if I could force salvation on everyone, I would have really a lot more souls on my spiritual account. I would have shoved a whole bunch of people into the gospel. Look, you. You need it bad. Look, I know you and I sin together. If I was bad, you're just as bad. You need it here. And I would have made them take salvation. But it doesn't work that way, does it? I can't make anyone take the gift. But I can tell them about the gift. And one thing about the gift of salvation is that sometimes I think we do a really bad job representing what a great gift it is. You know, some Christians are so hung up in what they're going through or they're judging others so they have no joy and they lost that joy of their salvation. And so when you lose the joy of being saved, that great gift of salvation that you receive, how do you get anyone else to be interested in it? They're like, why do I need to be saved? You look miserable. I don't want to be miserable. That's what being a Christian is about. Forget it, I'll pass. I can't say I blame some of the non-Christians. They're just being observant. The Christians should be more observant and acknowledge, like David did, man, my sin made me miserable. My sin made me feel like, God, your spirit is leaving me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And make me have a clean heart, a new, steadfast spirit, Lord. You have to renew me. You have to restore me to the joy of my salvation. He needed restoration. Any of you ever could acknowledge there's been periods where restoration for your joy needed to be done? We need this. And it could be such a simple thing that creeps in. But see, he said, this is a gift. By his grace, God has made us justified, just as if we never sinned, as a gift. It says, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It says, whom God displayed publicly. 
as a propitiation. Propitiation is a big Christianese term, which means a full payment, a full reckoning, the whole amount to be paid, everything owed. It's not a, well, cut the debt in half and just make one big payment and the bank will accept it, right? No, this is a banker who says every single infraction has to be paid for. It's a judge saying every single thing that has been broken, every single infraction of the law must be reckoned and paid in full. And that's what Paul is telling us Christ did. He paid in full and it was so that he could redeem us. Now, I brought my little example. Some of you guys will recognize one of these books. When I was a kid, we had these at the grocery store. This one's S&H green stamps. Different grocers had their own little thing and you had to get these little stamps here to fill in the boxes. These things were like gold. The grocer would give out the book and it's empty and every one of these little boxes had to be full. And once they were, you redeemed it, right? You took this book to this place called the Redemption Center. And the Redemption Center was like the superstore of ultimate prizes that they must have gotten all the wives together and said, what would you really like if you could have any of the latest, greatest clients and to the guys, same thing. But you couldn't go in there and buy the stuff with cash. You had to have one of these. You had to pay for that prize with a book that was filled with the stamps that what were called the redemption coupons. And it was how many books to get you, what prizes that you wanted. These let us get those prizes and take them from that little store to our house. We got to bring them home. And see what this word is here. It says that Christ, he was the one who redeemed us. He was the one that paid the payment, the propitiation, the payment of every one of my sins. It'd be like a little booklet of Izzy's life. Here's Izzy's life with all his sin laid out. Every little thing I did wrong marked in the book. And Jesus goes, well, we got to get the stamps to cover it. But see, the only stamp that could cover my sin was his blood. And you know what? That's what he did. He paid until every little infraction in my book was covered with his blood. And then he said, Father, I want to turn in the booklet. And what price was he going to get? Me. When he was leaving his disciples, he said, I'm going to my father's house. In my father's house, there's many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again that I might receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I want you to be with me. But see, I never really got it until I thought about this. When we turn this in, this is not the thing that was the valuable thing. This once it was filled with the stamps and then given to the place and then the prize, that's what we we're after, the prize. And we take that prize and we take it home. It's now, it's home with us. And what did Christ do? He said, I paid and filled in the book for you. So guess what? Who's the prize? You are. He's going, I want you to come be with me. I want you to come home to be where I am. You may be also. And this is what Paul is declaring in these verses. This passage, guys, is so powerful for our faith. When we let it sink in that Christ did that for me, 
that he looks at me as a prize, that he would come to the redemption store and he would go, I'll pay. I'll pay in full. The requirement of the law was a perfect lamb, unblemished, had to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And that's what John the Baptist declared. Remember when he saw Jesus in public the first time? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. That's the offering. That's the guy come what God has promised. And so he says, this is the one whom God displayed publicly in verse 25 as a propitiation in his blood through faith. He paid for each one of us. Now this, it says, was to demonstrate God's righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously. God is so forbearing, tolerant, patient, uh, put up with. Yeah, but he has put up with us being not so perfect all this time, right? Does he condemn? No, he did this to show his righteousness. For the demonstration, he says, I say of his righteousness at this present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.